Today, the scripture reading is John 1, 9 to 13. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not out of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. All right. Well, hey, good morning once again and and welcome. Just uh, so glad that you're here. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at FBC. I want to welcome you to our online service. Go ahead and grab a Bible and join me in the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, where we're going to be uh, starting in verse 9 this morning as we continue our uh, new sermon series that we just kicked off last week called Come and See, just a walk through the Gospel of John. So would you uh, join me in a word of prayer as we get ready to jump in? Father, we love you. You are so good. We are so grateful for the gift of uh, another morning to worship you and now to, to look to your word. Uh, we pray that you would speak, that you would open our eyes and ears by the power of your spirit, Lord. Help us understand what we read. Help us apply it to our lives. Uh, would you teach us and guide us? Um, we come again with, with open hands to receive this morning from you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we all make countless decisions in our lifetime. Uh, Some estimate that adults make thousands of decisions every single day. And although that number is kind of disputed and some think that is a little high, still there are a lot of decisions we are making every day. Some researchers have even uh, found that we can make up to uh, or over 200 decisions a day based on food alone. I know it's hard to eat well and eat right and figure out what to eat. Uh, Do you take the bagel or the donut, the coffee or the tea? Again, there's only one right answer in each of those scenarios. It's, of course, the coffee and the bagel. Okay, I want to speak to you donut people here really quick. Donuts are great, but really you only get the sweet option. Okay, with bagels, you could have a sweet bagel or you get the savory bagel plus the cream cheese. So definitely a, a bagel man over the donut man. So you can, you know, come in the chat there and dispute that. But anyways, we're constantly making decisions about food. But we know that certain decisions are weightier than others, right? Some are, are fairly innocuous and uh, insignificant, while other decisions that we make have the power to alter the entire direction of our lives. Think about Uh, your day so far already, right? You already made some decisions about what to eat for breakfast, about your plans for the day, about what you're going to wear, although maybe if you're watching this online, you just woke up, maybe you haven't made that decision yet, I don't know. Uh, But small things like that are daily decisions, but then we all can look back over the course of a lifetime and see there were some big uh, forks in the road where we decided uh, big things, to go to college or not. We decided to get married, to say yes to that proposal or, or not. We decided uh, to start a family or have kids or not. We decided to, to take that new job in that new city uh, and move away or, or not. Right? These big decisions that, that shape the trajectory of our lives and our story. Last week, uh, when we were 
uh, introducing the Gospel of John, we looked at these big claims about Jesus in the opening verses of John 1. Jesus is God himself. We saw these massive, staggering uh, truth claims about who Jesus is. And friends, it would be no overstatement to say that the decision that is the biggest in our lives, that according to Scripture, uh, the biggest decision we're all faced with is what will we do with Jesus? Of all the decisions that we're going to make in our lives, big and small, uh, the biggest, most life-altering is how will we respond to Jesus? And we see a, a bit of this dynamic on display in the text this morning. And we're going to pick up where we left off uh, from last week, just with verse 9. Look at it with me. It says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Okay, so remember last week that the gospel opens with this look at eternity past, and it shows us that in the beginning was the Word, and it's speaking about Jesus, about the Son of God, saying He was in the beginning. He was with God, in relationship with God the Father, and He was and is God. And the text continues, and we see John the Baptist come on the scene as a witness, it says, testifying, uh, calling people to believe in Jesus, pointing to Jesus, the light of the world. And then we come to verse 9 that we just started with, saying that Jesus, this true light that gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Okay, this speaks of, of that first Christmas where Jesus was born, where Jesus came to, to live and walk among us. God himself, born in the flesh, walking among us. But we see, as the verse continues, how Jesus was received. How people decided to respond to him. Look at verse 10. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And so you see John pointing out in the text just this tragic irony of ironies. Jesus, the one who made the world, right? Verse 3 of John chapter 1 told us, it's the one who is responsible for all of creation, he was not recognized by the world. And verse 11 adds that he came to that which was his own. He came to his own people. He came to the Jews, but even they did not receive him. So Jesus, the creator God himself, comes into the world. He walks among us, but tragically is not recognized or received. I mean, imagine throwing a party for your neighbor's your friends, your family, you're throwing this big party and you set it all up, right? You plan out the food, you order the caterers, you send out the invitations, you choose the date and time, you get everybody there. And then when the party is in full swing, you show up and everyone says, who are you? What are you doing here? You're not supposed to be here. We don't like you. And with Jesus, this, this rejection is so strong that he ultimately is killed and crucified. 
Just a tragic irony of ironies. And we see in the text that what the world needs help. Right? Verse 9 tells us what that this light is shining, this light is coming into the world. And so we see that the help that the world needs comes from outside of the world. Right? Verse 9 shows that the help, the light that the world needed came from outside of the world. Which makes us kind of fast forward to today and think about where do we look for hope and answers and help in, in a dark world that needs a lot of change? Do we look to politicians or, or programs or uh, human leaders, right? Things on a horizontal level. And in a secular society, that's often where people turn, right? There's no looking to God for a solution. It's just, hey, we have to figure things out. Now, there's, of course, much to be said for human responsibility and the actions and the impact uh, that we can take and make. But as Christians, we have a fundamentally different answer to the question, where does our help come from? What does our world need? It's not something on a horizontal level. It's not just something that we can provide. We needed help from outside of our world. We needed light. We needed rescuing. And the story of the Bible just shows us how time and time again, we uh, as human beings continue to show our inability to save ourselves. We keep messing things up. We keep killing one another. We keep not getting it. We needed help from the outside. And so the gospel, the good news of Jesus is not, hey, you can do it. But it's actually, no, you, you can't do it. And that's why Jesus came. It's verse 9, this, this light had to come into the world. God himself stepping into our situation to do what we could not do. And so how tragic is it then that, that the only medicine, the only prescription for hope and for healing and help that the world needed arrives. Jesus comes on the scene and he's refused He's rejected. He's not even recognized by his own people or by the world that he made. And this actually is a theme uh, throughout Scripture, right? If we uh, look back to the Old Testament, we'll see this theme that, that people are reluctant to hear and listen and respond appropriately to God. Uh, even from the people of God, the people who would be most expected to listen and obey and respond, we see God lament over his people in the Old Testament. In Isaiah 65, verse 2, God says this, All day long I have held out my hands to an obstinate people who walk in ways not good, pursuing their own imaginations. And that, that language is so helpful. It just pictures God holding out his hands all day long, saying to his people, saying to the world, come on, like, like here's what I'm calling you to. Here's what I'm inviting you to. But, but as a people, they, they rejected the ways of God. They walked in ways that were not good, pursuing their own desires and imaginations. We also see in Isaiah, uh, much earlier in the book, that we see the ministry of Isaiah the prophet was largely ignored and resisted. So here's this messenger, this prophet that God raises up and sends to his people. And ahead of time, he tells him, hey, by the way, uh, people aren't going to listen to you. Just, just a heads up. Or, or we see a similar thing in various other Old Testament prophets. God raises up messengers and prophets and the people don't listen. 
I mean, even, even Jesus in his day speaks to the religious leaders and he criticizes them and he says to them, hey, uh, you're opposing me just how your fathers opposed in their own day the messengers that God sent to them. And if you've been on our Bible reading plan right now, as a church, again, we're reading through the whole Bible this year. We're in the book of Numbers right now, just a few chapters a day. And if you've been reading with us, you've seen just over and over again, right, the stubbornness of the people, the, the grumbling of the people, the complaining of the people, even after God has rescued them, just constant frustration and grumbling and why did God rescue us out of Egypt and so on. Uh, just opposing God's leaders, opposing God's messengers. And so I point all this out to show us that this is a theme throughout Scripture, that humanity often uh, rejects the words of God. We reject uh, what God is calling us to. We see this in the Old Testament. Uh, we see this in verse 10 and 11 of John chapter 1 here. It was true in Jesus' day. Ultimately, it led to his rejection and crucifixion. And friends, we would be naive to think that this isn't still true today. The Bible clearly teaches that the doctrine of sin is, is real and persistent and that we all are born in sin. We all have this bent uh, away from God and towards ourselves. We, we love uh, darkness, the scriptures say. We want to do things our own way. We don't want to be brought into the light. We don't want to be exposed and let our hearts be seen for what they are. And that comes very naturally to us after the fall, just to, to bristle at the ways of God. And so this dynamic where Jesus is rejected is still at play today. Sometimes that's quite clear and obvious. People would be very vocal about not wanting anything to do with Jesus or believing in him. Uh, but for some of us in the church, it can be more subtle, where we'll verbally profess faith in Christ, but then through our lives, it tells a different story. Uh, author and pastor Paul David Tripp writes about this in uh, one of his books about our ability to minimize our sin and be blind. He says, as long as sin is inside of us, we all carry with us a dangerous ability to participate in our own spiritual blindness. It should be a warning to every leadership community everywhere that all members of your community are regularly tempted to think that their sin is something less than sin. And we, we have this ability to participate in our own spiritual blindness. And we all just need to acknowledge that, that we can deceive ourselves and not see things how they really are. And so what he goes on to say is, hey, we need to cry out to God and to one another for help. And so, so when our eyes are opened and we're convicted of our sin, that is a gift of the Holy Spirit. That's a work of God, because so often we're blind and just go our own way and don't even realize what we're doing. It is a gift when God convicts us. So we need to pray that, God, would you help me see my sin clearly? And God, would you put people in my life who can uh, correct me and confront me and ask me questions and point things out that I can't see, I need help. And so again, this rejecting Jesus and not recognizing Jesus is not just something that non-Christians do in a very clear and overt way, but sometimes it's subtly at work in our own hearts still, even uh, within the church. And so this text helps us come to, this, uh, to terms with our tendency to reject Jesus. And that's what verse 9 through 11 is getting at. Jesus, this light coming into the world, was not received, was not recognized. And so we have this choice in front of us today. How will we respond 
to Jesus. Now, if the passage ended here in verse 11, uh, things would be pretty bleak, right? Jesus, this light of the world, coming into the world, but he was not recognized by the world that he was created, by the world that he created. Uh, he was not received by his own people. We'd say, woof. I mean, this, this, is, this is rough. This is discouraging. But there's more. The text goes on, thankfully. Verse 12 it says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. So plenty of people did not recognize Jesus. And plenty of people rejected Jesus. But to those who did receive him, look at this incredible gift. Now, if you remember our Christmas Eve service, we looked at this very text, John 1, verses 12 and 13. Verses 12 and 13, which we just read, are, are right in the middle, uh, grammatically speaking, of uh, verses 1 through 18. So that this, this long discourse about Jesus that starts the book of John, verses 1 through 18 here, uh, at the heart of it are, are these verses. It's almost as if uh, the author is really highlighting this as the center, the focal point of this whole big introduction. Many failed to recognize Jesus. Many did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, to those who believed, he gave the right to become children of God. A few things we need to say about these verses here. Uh, first, receiving Jesus is linked with believing in his name. You see, it talks about to those who did receive him, who, uh, verse 12, is saying, believed in his name. So that's what we're talking about, is will we believe in Jesus? That's what it means to receive him. That's how we receive him, is we trust in the name of Jesus. Now, the name of Jesus is used here to, to represent all that he is. We, we trust in him and in his work and what he says and what he has done. And so this just highlights again for us the importance of faith in the Christian life. The importance of, of belief, which involves both embracing certain truths, right? Affirming certain truths about Jesus and then living those out, living in light of them. And so think about it with a, a chair, okay? If you trust in a chair across the room there, if you can look at a chair in your house, if you, or a chair that you're sitting in now or a couch, it's one thing to say and theoretically affirm, I trust that chair. I believe that it can hold my weight. I believe that if I sit down in it, it's strong enough to hold me and keep me secure. But faith is realized, is completed, is actually uh, lived out when you sit down in that chair. So that's a, an act of faith, as you sit in the chair, and it's not just a theoretical uh, affirmation, it's actually a lived out reality. I trust in this chair, therefore I am showing that I'm sitting down in it, and it uh, hopefully is going to, to hold my weight. And so to, to trust in Jesus, to believe in Jesus means, yes, affirming certain truths. I believe uh, that Jesus came to save me. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe that Jesus rose again. I believe that Jesus is uh, the only true king of the world. I believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation. 
And then we, in light of those truths, commit to, to following him, to living that out in our lives. And so this text goes on, it just, it just points out the incredible privilege that is ours when we do receive Jesus, when we do uh, take hold of him through faith. It says, to all who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. What an amazing truth that all who believe in Jesus are considered children of God, brought into the family of God, able to call uh, the creator God of the universe our Father. Which is incredible. It speaks of, of adoption, right? And, and let's realize this. We mentioned this at Christmas too, that in the ancient world, your identity, your vocation, your future, your inheritance, all those things was, were bound up in who your father was. Who your father was was a big deal. And spiritually speaking, if you were not a child of God with him as your father, then you were a spiritual orphan. And orphans in the ancient world, as they are today, were vulnerable, without an inheritance, without a father to protect them and teach them and care for them. And so, so think then that in light of that, the importance of a father, how powerful John chapter 1, 12 to 13 is. Through Jesus, you have the right to become a child of God. Through Jesus, you can call God your father and his, his constant care and, and discipline and provision and protection will be upon you. The C.S. Lewis quote that we've referenced before, the Son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. This is at the very heart of the gospel. Now we should realize, as beautiful as this picture is, the original audience of John chapter 1 would have some objections here. Okay, many who were reading this or hearing John chapter 1 were Jews. And Jews believed that they all were the children of God through their father Abraham. They were a chosen people. And so they would say, what do you, what do you mean that we have to receive Jesus in order to be children of God? They would say, we have the Torah. We have the Old Testament law. We are sons of Abraham. We already are the family of God. John says, actually, no, only those who receive Jesus are fulfilling what the scriptures teach. Because all of the Old Testament law and the Torah and the prophecies in scripture are pointing forward to Jesus. And that was tough for many of them to hear and receive. In the same way that this may be hard uh, for some of us today. Maybe you're listening and you have objections to this this concept, but for a slightly different reason, you would say maybe, aren't we all children of God? Isn't this too exclusive? Isn't this too narrow? I thought Jesus was about inclusion. Why does this seem to draw such a firm line about those who are in and those who are out? Why is it only those who receive Jesus that are children of God? Well, to that, we could say a few things. We could say, yes, in, in one sense, we all are children of God. We all are created by God. We all are made in the image of God. God loves uh, the world and all people. And so in, in that sense, we could say, yes, there's that common humanity, common um, reality of being a child of God that the scriptures do speak to in different 
ways, but there's more to that because of our sin. The Bible describes our condition sort of like, again, spiritual orphans who have, have left home. We've pointed this out before, but uh, that famous story in Luke 15 of the prodigal son. If you haven't heard it right, there's this younger brother who comes up to his father and says, basically, I want nothing to do with you. I just want your money. I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance. I'm going to leave home. And he goes and he lives in a faraway land and he he wastes his money on, on wild and reckless living and he's just desperate and finds himself there in a mess. And this serves as sort of a picture of, of, of what we've all done. How because of sin, we've all turned from God. We've all loved ourselves rather than loving our Father. And we wanted to do things our own way. We didn't want to live under our Father's rules. And so we, we are loved by God, loved by the Father, but, but far from home. We've left and said, I, I don't want to live under your roof anymore. What we needed was Jesus to come from heaven to, to seek and save the lost. We were all lost. But Jesus came, light shining in the darkness to bring us home. Because he was not only uh, born, but he ultimately died on a cross for our sins to purchase our redemption and our forgiveness. And then he rose again from the grave. And so in order to come home, in order for us to return home, our, our sin and our rebellion had to be dealt with. And Jesus did that on the cross. He paid for our sin and the penalty and the consequences of our rebellion so that we could be forgiven and cleansed and welcomed home. And so that's what the gospel is all about. It's not just, again, a, a cold, impersonal message of like a, a legal courtroom setting, hey, you're justified, you're, you're, you're free to go. I mean, yes, it is that. But, but the gospel goes way beyond just this legal standing before a holy God. More than that, the gospel establishes this personal relationship between us and our Heavenly Father as His child. But, but without Jesus, do you see that without Jesus and without His sacrifice on the cross and us receiving that grace through faith, then, then we are still living far from home. We are still living, uh, doing things our own way. We are still rejecting the only means of salvation that God has provided. So God's saying, I love you. God's saying, come home. We have to choose, will we receive Jesus, the only way to return home? Friends, my hope is that in this text, and with this language of being a child of God, you would see how, how truly loved you are. Because we live in a world where we are tirelessly pursuing validation. We exhaust ourselves looking uh, for success and for identity and to see that our lives matter. And especially if I can speak to the young people here listening, as young people we look out at life ahead of us and we, we have this vision of the good life and we think that if we could only achieve certain things we'll be happy and we'll be fulfilled and we'll, we'll live the good life. And maybe that's tied up in our career Maybe that's tied up in uh, finding a spouse or having a family or it's tied up in, in, in earning a certain amount of money or having a certain uh, standard of living or contributing something unique to society or whatever it might be. But the problem is that when we build our lives on all these different things, all these different foundations, uh, they ultimately uh, don't hold. They, they will crumble. They will let us down. 
and we'll be uh, incredibly anxious and fearful because those things all can be taken away. And many of us have experienced that they do often get taken away in different uh, times and ways through our life. And ultimately, we become then enslaved to pursuing these things so that we can have a sense of identity and fulfillment and validation and success and so on. And so I want you to see that the good news of the gospel is that, that we were designed to find our identity as children of God. And if you put your faith in Jesus, you are a child of God, loved by God, belonging to God. And that is an identity. That is a a status that is freely given to you, right? It's not earned and and it can't be taken away. You don't have to worry about losing it. You You can go through life with incredible peace and rest and confidence. It's so freeing to know that I am loved I belong to the family of God. I'm loved by my Father. I'm loved by the King. And so I don't have to worry about my achievement or my success or whether I fail or not. I can go and and give my heart uh, uh, to these various pursuits and enjoy what life has to offer, but not being uh, threatened and and worrying about losing my identity because it's secure in Christ. And so if if you're looking for identity, you're looking for purpose, and you're looking for rest, Find it here. It's the only place we can truly look. Children of God. Now the text continues. Again, the last verse we're looking at this morning is that we would be children of God. It says, verse 13, though children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So verse 13 points out that, that being a child of God is, is not something, think about this, that comes from your family. Okay, it's not something that comes from your parents, their decision. Uh, it's not something that you're, you're born into physically. Right? It's not even really a human decision alone. Something miraculously is worked out by God. You're born of God. He works this miracle of transformation in your heart. And the language of verse 13 is so important. The language of birth. I think about that being born. born, This is where we get the idea of being born again, which later in the book of John uh, we'll see more of. But think about this image, that if you put your faith in Jesus, uh, this is a really big deal. You have this, this new life, this new birth, this new beginning. And this is really a theme that we see uh, throughout the gospel and throughout the scriptures, that, that following Jesus is not about this like marginal spiritual upgrade. Or like, you know, if you have a computer, you get those little software updates. Like, hey, we got a new software update available, you know, update your computer so it runs a little bit better. Sometimes that's how we think about Jesus. Like this nice little add-on that's going to make my operating system, you know, run a little bit more fully. But following Jesus is not about some small little software update on your computer. It's really about getting a new computer. Like a brand new level, a brand new, totally different reality. And it's probably like getting a Mac computer because uh, those are amazing and Apple products are amazing. I know some of you disagree. But, but you, you get this image, right? This brand new start, new beginning, new life, new birth. I mean, we just had a son three months ago. A shepherd was born. And so it's really fresh in our minds just what it means when uh, there's a new life. He came into the world, a, a new start, and you watch him grow. You see him learning. You see this, this, the purity that's there when he's first born. Uh, there's so much that, that goes into this, this new 
life. There's, I mean, there's so much mileage we can get out of this image. And I think it's, there's a reason that it's, it shows up like this in the text. Because this describes this, this new beginning, this new start that we have because of Jesus, where God says, come to me. I'll take your burdens. I'll take your sin. I'll wash you clean. You no longer have to carry the shame of your past. You can be redeemed and have this new start in Christ. So friends, this invitation is here for each of us. The text tells us, uh, John 1, 9 to 13, many did not receive Jesus or recognize him. They rejected him. But, but to those who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. And so of, of all the decisions you will make in your lifetime, there is no decision more important than this. What will you do with Jesus? Will you reject him or will you receive him? Let's pray. Lord, again, we thank you for your word. And Jesus, we just look to you and we are, are amazed at, at who you are, at what you've done, that you came to us, you came to save us, you died for us, you uh, paid for our sins, you've brought us forgiveness, and you've given us new life. You've said to us, hey, come home. You've given us new birth. Uh, we are so grateful. Help us, Lord, respond to you in faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.